Welcome to another episode of the Talk Tonight podcast. I hope you're all well and safe out there. This week, I was joined by Perry App Gwynedd, who's currently the guitarist for Pendulum and has been for many years. We sat down remotely to talk about his lockdown experience, the new singles that have come out recently from Pendulum and their plans for next year. And we talked about his work with many great artists, including one of my favourites of all time, Natalie Imbruglia. That was a great chance to chat about the past and we also chatted about his love of cycling and if you hold on at the end of the podcast there's an extra five or six minutes where we go in depth and talk a little bit about the cycling world and also his recent work commentating on the Tour de France so sit back enjoy with a cup of tea the nights are getting colder and stick with the talk tonight podcast much more to come Welcome to another episode of the Talk Tonight podcast. I'm absolutely delighted this evening. Uh, finally, I'm recording one at night. It's called Talk Tonight. Usually I record through the day, but Perry, how are you doing? Very good, thank you very much. How are you, Lee? Yeah, very good, very good. We've had a nice day here in Scotland and uh, the sun is just going down. And finally, well, it looks like we're heading into another lockdown if you've seen the news in Scotland. I don't know what's, what's happening in Wales, but... How has it's probably a good place to start? How's how's lockdown been for you, Perry? Well, uh, I'm still in London, so I still live. I'm, well, I'm actually in Wales now, but I live in London, so and I have done since uh, university days. But um, it's been it hasn't really been any different to me really because I spend most of my time at home in, in studio in front of the computer anyway, and there's been no difference really. So the only difference is being my wife works from home now and. Uh, and we've been, and I've been looking after the, uh, my son a little bit more. That's it. I found that dynamic change as well because I'm now I, I'm working from home pretty much to I think next April, and um, we just had a ten. Well, we've got well, we've just had a, a child about ten months ago. She's coming oh, up for our first birthday. Oh, thanks, man. We've been spending so much time together, and uh, I've got a six-year-old as well. And it, it's actually that's been the one positive of the year has been the time we've had together and I've been able to help out a lot more and things like that. So, I mean, as much as this has been a terrible year for a lot of people, in some ways it's brought people closer together. Would you go along with that? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a way over time, you know, because um, uh, my wife, but I, I'm always at home, obviously, unless, unless I'm uh, touring. But, uh, yeah, no, me and my wife have been getting on really well and it's been great having... Well, uh, my son goes to nursery and obviously during lockdown... Um, uh, only the, the uh, key workers' kids got to go to nursery, so I, I was looking after him. Um, well, all week basically. So, yeah, it does uh, take over your life, uh, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but but it's been great looking after him because you know, if if it wasn't locked in, I wouldn't have had that time. So it's been great. Yeah, and if you're you know, if you're out touring and that as well, and you might be on the road a bit, you, you're missing out on maybe some of this stuff. So it's maybe been. A blessing for, for for these new parents like ourselves to kind of be getting that time. So, absolutely, he's like two and a half. So, um, if I was on tour now, you know, I'd be missing him growing up and learning how to speak and all this. And uh, it's been really good. So, I mean, we talk about lockdown. Everyone has been super busy in work and life and things like that. But you have been super super busy. I was keeping a, a, a check on some of the stuff you've been going on and let's just talk about the first thing that I've seen you've been doing a lot of obviously you're a keen cycler and you, you, you've been you know you put up some posts about the Tour de France and different things but you you did a cycle that was 282 kilometres in one day tell us about that and what charity were you you doing that for? Uh, 
Oh, I've been involved with a charity called the uh, the Heavy Metal Truants for about the last seven years, I think, something like that. And that's a charity that started by uh, a guy called Alexander Milas, who um, he was the editor of Metal Hammer magazine, and uh, Mr. Rod Smallwood, who's Iron Maiden's manager. So uh, I've, oh, got, cool. I've got involved in that charity. So that's what we usually do um, every June. We ride from London. Uh, to the Download Festival, which is in Castle Donington. Um, and it usually takes about three days. You know, it's, uh, we don't take a direct route. We, we kind of snake around a bit. And it's about 100, it's 282 kilometres, basically. That's the distance that we cover over three, three days. And uh, obviously this year we couldn't do that because there wasn't a Download Festival. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that had been postponed or cancelled uh, this year. So... Um, so, but we still decided that we were going to do the ride, but we're going to do it virtually. So, uh, depending on people's lockdown, uh, the rules and the laws in their in their area, uh, I, uh, a lot of people did it in their local area, not too far from their house, um, and we had twelve days to do it basically. So, because people were still working um, or uh, working from home, so you know they had twelve days to do the, uh, the distance, uh, but. Um, and some people did it on their home trainer, so that's what I did. I did it on my home trainer. <laughs> and, uh, I, did, uh, I did it in nine hours. Jesus. God, what, yeah, were, you, what were you like after it with your legs totally gone? Uh, yeah, it was with my, my arsehole in it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I had uh, quite a lot of problems. Uh, well, walking was a bit, was a, bit uh, a problem, but, uh, and sitting down wasn't too much fun either. Jeez. But I know it's worth it. You know, um, in total... I think we raised two hundred grand. I think. Wow, that's phenomenal. That's with everybody together, all the cyclists together. So, um, yeah, so we, we were very, very, and that's more money that we we've um, raised when we know when we normally cycle from London to download properly on bikes. On the, uh, so yeah, so um, so people were very generous, thankfully, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, and uh, heavy metal truants who raises his money for Teenage Cancer Trust, Nord of Robbins, and Child Line. So it's all, uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Bernardas as well this year. So uh, all, all kids' charities. So some fantastic causes that that's going. I think I've seen through lockdown people, you would think people, you know, a lot of people losing their jobs and that, but people really dug deep and, and got behind lots of different things that are going on and because they just love the, the inspiration of it. I, I, seen so many different things with musicians as well doing live streams and you're happy to chip in and, and pay a few pennies just to keep people going or help other charities it's phenomenal how everyone's come together this year i think yeah it's, uh, there's some sort of community spirit that's, that's happened you know um everybody's looking at our politicians or the ones in charge politicians in charge are just looking well in westminster anyway uh, your guys are all right up there well yeah they're doing they're doing okay it's a tough job they but they're, they're doing, they're doing bit. way better than they are down here <laughs> um yeah and um you know people just been looking at perry we could Westminster we could be in uh we could be in america so we, we should probably think how lucky yeah. we are <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's going on there I mean some of the other stuff you've been I was really I thought it was so cool I was just because I love guitars and things like that you're doing show and tell guitars and lockdown guitars and some of your, your stuff that you've got my favourite was the 62 Strat reissue Olympic White I was just sitting there going oh man I would love to own that so um, how many guitars have you actually got then what have you what's your what's your lineup? I have no idea how many guitars I've got that's, that's, the, that's the problem you see so 
Um, I, the, um, the photos that I put up on Instagram on my lockdown guitars, I did that because I was bored. I was bored one afternoon and I had nothing to do. And I thought, oh, you know what? I'm just going to put some of my guitars up on, on Instagram. So um, I did that over, well, over 18 days because uh, yeah, I've got 18 guitars at home. I've got more in my in our locker. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I just started photographing. It was, it was, yeah, it was a lovely summer. So we had, had a nice light outside in the garden. And uh, I just started um, uh, taking photos of the, of, of the guitars. And, uh, what, what, was your most, what would be your most treasured out of, well, I know you've got many more sitting, but what would be your most treasured one that you go to or your go-to guitar for recording? That's well for recording and uh, for um, uh, playing uh, playing live. It's, I've got a PRS Custom Twenty Four Flybros, which which I can never do without. I record everything with it, and I and that's my main guitar live as well. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's about six years old now. I started. I played it. I played about twenty fourteen, and um, yeah, it's just an amazing guitar. It's just one of those. Yeah, I've got a few guitars that are, that are nice, but this is the one that's kind of um, I've I've played it in myself, and it's just played it perfectly. You know, it just feels a part of me now. So I've seen as well that you've done a, been doing some. Good, I know that a lot of musicians have been doing this. Have been either doing like guitar lessons or joining sessions. I mean, technology is wonderful. You could join a live session in a studio online and. So how's your how's the guitar lessons been going for you? Has that been a, a totally different thing? Like altogether from being in a studio how's he, how have you found it uh, I haven't been doing that many guitar lessons it's sessions mainly that's what I did at the beginning of lockdown um, I, I kind of slashed my fees and said listen if you want me to play any, on your tune get in touch and um, so nearly anybody can afford for me to play on their record you know and it's it's been quite good it's been it's kept me busy and um, I've, I've played on a lot of different records which is yeah. great how does it work then is it over does it is it you join a link like sort of online and you and they just record it how, i mean i was always thinking like how would the audio stand up over that sort of like online system but obviously it does but how does it work so they send you audio files and then you put those audio files into your uh, audio workstation right okay i use logic pro x so they send you audio files and you put them into your uh, workstation and then you record your parts and then you send your audio files back to them. Ah, right, okay. So you save it's, it and then you put the files back. I was thinking it was like live and you'd be there like standing in your room. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to do that because um, you need um, a time machine, basically. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, if you've ever, you know, doing something over Zoom, you, you, you couldn't... Um, it's that latency, right. there's like a lag, isn't it? You would be like it's, behind a couple of steps or then. <laughs> yeah, so so you need a time machine, basically, for that to work properly. <laughs> they, they haven't been invented yet. And uh, I've never met somebody from the future, so I don't think they ever will be yeah. invent, invented. Uh, or if you, could find Doc, if you can find Doc Brown and Marty McFly and we can get them, <laughs> then we could maybe talk about it. But yeah. Massive news, though, on your, um, your, your social media feeds this week that... Pendulum are back and they've got some new singles or uh, two songs, Nothing For Free and Driver. So uh, obviously a massive fall in this band. How excited are you to be back with the band and these songs coming out? 
It's been great because we haven't released anything in 10 years. It's been quite a while. <laughs> uh, we went on hiatus beginning of 2012. And um, then we've been doing sporadic gigs since 2016. Um, the first time we did when we came back was quite mental. It was in um, uh, Miami. We did a, the, the Ultra Festival, Ultra Electronic Music Festival in Miami. We, we headlined that. And... Um, and Twitter just went mad. We were trending number eight worldwide for a few hours after the show, you know. And uh, we have, the, the, the live stream had about 30 million views. Jeez. Uh, while we were playing live, about 30 million people were watching it. So it's, uh, That's crazy. Yeah, and the guy who runs uh, Ultra came up to us and said, you'll never guess what, you had 30 million people watching it. We are like, what? Yeah, I said, yeah, we haven't seen anything like that. Before. So... People obviously missed this. So, that was a cool gig because uh, Dead Mouse uh, was on stage with us and uh, Tom Morello from uh, Rage Against Machine. Rage Against Machine, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So what, what's the... Obviously, 2012 was when you had the, the break. How, how has it been since then? Were you always... The plan was always to come back together and, and do music, new music again or was it just everyone wanted to go off and do their own things? Well, everybody... I, I went off and did... Uh, played with loads of different people. I just played some... Uh, did some touring with Tiny Temper, some with Anastasia, and then uh, with Faithless as well. Did a couple of few, few years with uh, Faithless, which is pretty really cool. Yeah, so always loved them. And it was a bit of an honor when they asked me to play with them. I was like, Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so there's Faithless, and then uh, but uh, but I was in Spain and I got a text from Gareth and uh, Gareth, our bass player, and said, uh, <laughs> We've been offered a gig in Miami. Do you fancy it? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's what we did. That's, that's how we came, all came back together because um, the guy that runs Ultra Festival is a massive Benjamin fan and um, he just wanted us back. He was just so, lobbying for it. He was lobbying for it. He wanted yeah, it. Yeah, so we, we, yeah, we, just, we just did a few rehearsals and flew over there and did the gig. And it was great. And was this the sessions that you, the new songs that are, or they had been written previously or? Uh, those were old songs, but we did because uh, uh, the, the project that Gareth and Rob did from the band, they, they, they did a project called Knife Party. So um, they, um, so we did one of the Knife Party songs live, which is pretty cool, and then we did a song called Ghosts and stuff that uh, Rob and Dead Mouse did together. So Dead Mouse came on stage with us, and we did that song live for the first time ever. That's amazing. So, so the plan, I take it, next year, well, everyone is probably sitting on tender hooks. I know that I've had emails today from bands that I like saying the tour's been announced for next September, and I'm just, like, not sure whether to buy tickets at the moment. I mean, is that your plan to get the the band to back out touring next year, or what's the what's the, the plans for the future? Well, the plan was to be out touring now. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but... Um... Obviously, with the situation as there is in the world, nobody knows what's going to ha- uh, happen. You, know, you, you don't want to announce a gig and then cancel it. So, um, yeah, so we're holding back until we know what's happening. And I, I, well, everybody's doing that, really, because um, you know, the problem is at the moment you, you can't tour because um, there's no way you can insure a tour. You know, when you go out to, on tour, you need insurance, you know, yeah, the obvious reasons. and nobody's touching it. <laughs> no, well, I think you could get insured, but it'll cost you a fortune to insure it. You know, because um, 
even if venues were open, you know, if somebody in, in, in the touring um, party gets COVID, then that's it. That's it's, all it. it's gone, Everyone, isn't it? Yeah. And then... go, oh, no. So imagine if that happens in the first week of a two month tour. Jeez. You know, that's. That, uh, and then the band, then, you know, you lose so much money because um, uh, rehearsing all the way up to that costs money. So. And if something like that happens, then it could be a complete disaster. So, what, what do you think? I mean, we don't obviously don't want to get too political, but you can do if you like. But what do you feel about what the government have done in terms of supporting, firstly, the venues and secondly, the musicians? Do you think there's more that need? I know that everyone's looking for money and support and and things like that. But do you think they've they've just not? I mean, I've seen two venues already that I that I love in Scotland have gone. I've just they, they had to fold because there's no money. How do you feel yeah. about it? The way the, the way the government supported it or lack of. Well, well, they just haven't, have they? So, and we're being called unviable. Our, our industry is now unviable. You know, it, uh, you know, it's I think three years ago, it was a four point one billion pound industry in the UK alone. Uh, and how the hell is that? That is unviable. I've no idea. You know, and, uh, yeah, this. Um, Obviously, this the, uh, the, the Westminster government doesn't care, really doesn't care. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be bankrupt after this, and people are going to lose their homes. People are going to lose, people have lost their jobs. People are going to lose their homes, and uh, some people are going to make a lot of money out of this. You know? Yeah, hedge funders, people like that. Um, Chris, is it what's his name? Crispin Oldie, isn't it? Uh, Opie. Uh, he's going to make it, you know, you know, all these uh, houses that people are going to lose, you know, you know, there's, the talk, there's talk of a, a recession and those houses are going to go up cheap, you know, so people with money are going to buy those and then sell them once again. Once When's the market the, picks uh, up. Yeah. yeah, so it's, um, so the rich, the, the, the extremely rich are going to get even richer. So it's know? the rich get richer, the poor get poorer of the... Yeah. The money it's there, but the, the thing that's struck me about the whole thing is, like you said, they say it's unviable. But like, if I think of a gig, like even just like the last one of the last ones I went to was uh, Liam Gallagher in Aberdeen, the brand new venue up in Aberdeen. Which if you when you get back to and you must visit, it's superb. And uh, we went, we stayed in the hotel. So there's the hotel we've paid for. We went for a meal in a restaurant, and then we went to the bar for beers, and then we went to the venue, and then back. So all them different places that are. You know, people are spending their money supporting not just buying your tickets, but merchandise at the venues as well. It's gigs can affect the whole town or the whole city because you're you're bringing people. I mean, we came travelled an hour, but there's people that are flying in from different parts of the world to see a gig in in Scotland or in England and or Wales or Northern Ireland, Republic Ireland. They're spending so much money. You get people coming in from America, so it's all in the economy. It's all helping it, and that to to come out and say, you know, it's unviable is just. I just I like they're pushing it to the side, and we'll, we'll try and get to that when we can. And yeah, it's, uh, it's just yeah. As I said, if they don't care, you know. Obviously, there are more important. You know, the health of nations is more important than yeah. Me playing a gig, but you know, they've messed that up as well. <laughs> they haven't done anything right at all. Yeah, and it's and, you know, and they're still messing it up day after day after day. They're messing it. I won't use a word stronger than messing it. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not sure I can swear in your podcast. Oh, no, you can so, say it. They're fucking they're up. They're fucking it up. <laughs> 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 it's, you know, they keep on fucking it up every single fucking day, you know. And, uh, 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, the tour of Italy. I was working on the tour of France about months ago. I'm working on the tour of Italy now for uh, cycling, commentating, and um, and and I'm seeing people going out there. They're wearing their masks, you know, and they've got it under kind of under control in in Italy, you know, and they've, they've definitely got it under control in Germany. It's, uh, but we yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In America, they just don't think it's happening. Donald Trump just doesn't believe that it's happening. But now, all of a sudden, he has COVID, in, uh, which is the biggest lot of crap I've ever seen in my life. Pictures of him sitting in a white shirt, signing blank paper. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, But there you go. Hopefully, things will change and uh, we'll start to see some support. But I know for a fact, from what I'm seeing in Scotland, we're losing venues that are really special yeah. to people and a lot of memories there. And It's, it's uh, crying. It's terrible. So hopefully, something will get sorted and we, we can see but. It is a hard I mean, job. That's what's, what I'm seeing as well is a lot of companies like audio companies, PA companies, lighting companies, they're going bust. You know, there's a there's a company where well, the first one to go was uh, was near our studio in uh, in London called Matt Snowball. They're a hire company and they, they they make flight cases, you know, and and they hire up uh, uh, splitter vans and stuff like Jeez. that. And these are these like, are the core of touring, isn't it? This is the yeah, back exactly, the bone yeah. of touring. It's, so they went, they went bust kind of a month after lockdown. And um, and there's lighting companies and PA companies all over the land now with warehouses full of equipment that, that aren't getting um, hired out. And obviously that's costing money. Yeah. And, you know, it's... Uh, um, what happens to those companies when they go bust? You know, once touring does, if touring does start up again... <laughs> where are you going to get your PA from? Yeah, you know? it's just going to be sitting in a locker. I mean, are you going to do a gig in the dark? <laughs> <laughs> Candles. It's like, yeah, it's like you know, it, it is that serious. You know, once these companies go, you know, it's you know they might not come back. As much as live streaming has been great, and I've enjoyed some of the streams, it's just not the same, isn't it? As being in that room with a band like, on stage and the, the energy that you feel. I mean, you can't recreate that over a stream, I don't think. You know, it's tough to do that. And everybody yeah. in that room enjoying themselves. We've got one of the my favourite venues in the world, the Glasgow Barlands, which I'm sure you... Well, you have played. I've seen you I've seen you there. I've seen you yeah. play there. It's an amazing venue to get that energy and that buzz. So to lose yeah. all that just now is for yeah. everyone. It's, especially in Scotland, because we love our gigs up here. So And our nights That's out... From- Sprung floor, man. Oh, yeah, it's just like everyone <laughs> rocking. Jumping up and down, it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> hold that thought, hold that thought, we'll, yeah. we're going to come on to that. Um, one thing we talk about on the podcast, Perry, a lot is about young people and uh, coming into the business, is into the industry, either being you know a session musician or a, an artist themselves. I always ask the people that go on, uh, I know it's maybe more different at the moment with COVID, but what what advice would you give for musicians coming up through their their younger years into this industry now? How much has it changed since you were growing up? Um, it hasn't changed that much, I suppose. It's um, you know, there are slight differences, but it's still playing music on stage in front of people, or used to be. Yeah. And uh, but my my advice to anybody uh, wanting to, to make it or try and make um, uh, a living out of it is don't turn anything down, anything. Just if somebody asks you, oh, do you want to come and play this uh, uh, caravan park and <laughs> uh, play country and western tunes, say yes. Because, you know, 
one, it's good experience. Two, you, you might be out of your comfort zone. So that's good. Um, and you might be earning a little bit of money. That's good as well. So it, it's a yes to everything. Because you never know. That the person who plays bass in this country in Western band might might have another band that isn't country and western. And it might be heavy metal, you know. And that heavy metal band might be big, you know, or might become big. So uh, it's, yeah, cause it's all about context, really. You can be the best player in the world, but if you don't get out there, yeah, you might might still be the best player in the world, but nobody else will know about it. I've said to folk, just friends I've had that have kind of been like trying to chip away and be a session musician and things like that. It's just like they would. I was even saying like get into a wedding band. There's big money to be made in Absolutely. a we- in a wedding band because you're playing every week. You, you know they're charging. I mean, yeah, I know my wedding. Just looking back, what we paid for a gr- a real good band that you're going to remember the night. So there's loads of opportunity. Obviously, again at the moment, that's really difficult for people. But I, f- I like to see people being creative and doing guitar lessons and everything online, and that's great. But yeah, like you say, I think that's fantastic advice. Just every opportunity that comes up, just take it and grab it. And it's on your CV. It's another job. And like you say, you might speak to someone that could open up another door for you. And just absolutely, yeah. Because um, I can. Uh, there's there's a, a line of my career, right? And uh, um, if it was, it was it's all to do with meeting one guy back in. God, in the early 90s or mid 90s where it was and through that meeting that one guy there's a line that goes um, that's how I got to play with Natalie through contacts right from, from this one guy and always through my career and to Pendulum as well but meeting one guy um, if I hadn't met that guy I probably wouldn't have ended up um, playing for Natalie or playing in Pendulum because the contacts that I made through after meeting him wouldn't have been made, you know. God knows what would have happened. It's and then you get that chance to show once you show your ability, and you obviously, when young people are, I, I always say to them, you know, practice, 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 and they get to that that chance that they've got and they take it, then you're opening up that people know, go, oh, Perry, he's we know he's good, he can do this, he can do that, he's he's got all sorts of styles, you and then that open people start talking and passing your details around, and it can just open Absolutely. up so many windows, so. I think it's 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 fantastic advice to to pass on and great link actually just as you mentioned uh, Natalie because we want to talk about Natalie because for anyone that doesn't know uh, me and Perry I wouldn't say we go way back because we don't we're not well, like, we do it's over twenty years well it's it's a long time isn't it I suppose yeah. to, but we we've we've crossed paths just purely uh, because of Natalie and you said that yeah. you started playing with Natalie I mean God I when we I was speaking to the other week and we were I shared a photo from gigs actually i think we were playing edinburgh corn exchange or something like that right, yeah. yeah and we were just like laughing god we were just young pups and she was just saying like our young boy max has just turned one and it's like where is yeah. the life went that we had and it's just crazy it opens up so many memories what what memories do you have from that time in joining natalie's band oh god there's so many because <laughs> I've been with her for nine years, right? And it was a mental time, beginning to end, till the end. It was like, it was great. It, you know, because basically nearly everybody in that band kind of grew up together for that time. Because we, we're, um, you know, we were all experiencing the same things for the first time ever you know, um, together. And, you know, we were lucky because Natalie, you know, 
at, at that point, back in the in the late nineties, nineties, at a certain point, she was the biggest thing in the world, you know, biggest artist in the world, and. Um, so we were going around, the, we're flying around the world. <laughs> amazing. Non-stop, basically, you know, and you know, staying in the most amazing places, you know, literally circumnavigating the globe, you know. You'd go uh, from London to New York. So in New York, you'd be there for a few days and you'd do the David Letterman show. Jeez. That live. And then soon after that, you'd be on a plane going to L.A., to um, to be on the Jay Leno show and uh, Ellen and stuff like that, and uh, then the day after that, you fly direct to Sydney uh, uh, and do a bunch of gigs in Sydney, then some TV stuff, then TV stuff in Melbourne, then fly to Perth, and then God, so it was basically that for nine years. It was it was so good. It was such such good fun. I remember so privilege to. Uh, so I've been there actually. Yeah, I mean, not many people get 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 to see that, and I'm very very lucky that I did. And that's it. It's always yours to look back on with, like, just how you t- described it there, just like a roller coaster of things that have yeah. happened. And I'm guessing through the way you would have been shattered, but just it, you like today we're going to New York, and you're just like, oh my god, I'm going to another yeah. city. But I my memories from that time are just like it. Like, I've spoke to her about it and told her, like, how things had changed my life, going out and following you guys and going to gigs and things. The well, first time I'd seen you was actually was the Tea in the Park one. I shared the photo. I'll send it to you, actually, um, Perry. I've got the photo. Yeah. 1999, and it rained all day. I don't know if you remember this day, but at Tea in the Park, it well, rained. Yeah. yeah. It rained all day, and we waited at the front all day because we were like, I'm not going out in that. We went out later on to see Beastie Boys in, in the mud, but... Yeah. We waited all day and it was just like one of the best gigs. Like, just you all were just on the form. It was just great. Like, and you sure that was 98? Was it 98? Was it the year before? Yeah. Am I giving a year away? Yeah, because yeah. uh, we were, yeah, because that, that was before the first proper UK tour that we did. Yeah, because, yeah, that's right. Because in the November, yeah. the winter time, you, yeah. you, that was when you played Barrowlands and you had the sofa on stage. Yeah. Remember, the, always right, remember yeah. the sofa on stage. Yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, that was summer um, of '98. Yeah, yeah. And, God, you remember, uh, remember better than me. <laughs> I, I remember mud. I remember. Um, I remember the, the tour bus. Or the, we just got a tour bus just to go up and down. Uh, I think it was just a one-off gig that weekend, and uh, yeah, and we stayed in the castle. <laughs> As you do. I don't know which castle we stayed in. I can't remember, but we, we stayed in the castle that night. That night so it was, uh, yeah, that was one hell of a laugh. The Scottish crowdsman, the, the you know, you know, you're Scottish. <laughs> it's, it's quite, it's quite an experience, you know, because uh, it's some of the best best reactions you can get uh, being a musician is standing on stage in Scotland. You know, it's, it's even with pendulums, just like hear it, hear it. Hear I know. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic up here. I think you find that though with I've been to gigs over and. North of England is good as well, but the, like the further yeah. north, like Wales and then Ireland as well. I think they just, yeah. I don't know what it is. They just, they're just mad for it. They just love it. They just, yeah, they yeah. see it as a night out. They've been, they've saved up their money. They come out and they just want the, the night to never end, sort of thing. I think that's what it's always been, been like. Yeah. Um, I think on to the, how did it actually? I, I was always wanted to ask this to Natalie, but I've never really kind of wanted to bother with it. But see when. The first album was done and that tour was wrapped and that was yeah. like that album I mean still selling. 
what I loved about it was because um, I was a massive radio. Well, still am a massive Radiohead fan. But when Ni- yeah. Nigel Godridge produced that album, that first Left of the Middle, if anyone right. doesn't know, uh, he had some. He did some of the work on it. He did a little bit, yeah. Some of the sessions yeah. and stuff. How did it feel at the end of that, and then moving on? I know Natalie took a bit of time, and then we we, we came up to White Lilies Island, which I think is hugely underrated in her career. I know yeah. it, it didn't get the reaction that people. Or she had hoped for in terms of like the first album, but how did it feel coming from that whirlwind of Torn and Wishing I Was There and all these massive songs and the big tours and like all the places you've said and then a break and then coming back in for White Lilies Island? What, what was the feeling around that time? Do you remember? Yeah, we um, as a band, uh, once Natalie took her break and started working on the new album. Um, we then went off to play with Sophie Ellis Baxter for a year or something. So we did so uh, we played with Sophie and then went back to Natalie. So um, we, we were quite busy all the way through that. So it was just a continuous thing for you guys, and that's. Yeah. And did you, did you uh, keep the band? Was uh, it the same band with Sophie Ellis Baxter? Was it the same band? Yeah, because it was her general manager. The general manager at RCA had moved to Universal and um, a guy called David Joseph and David. It was Sophie just released her first solo. Well, her album was about to release her album, and uh, Sophie was an old neighbour of mine. I knew her anyway, so um, she was my come on my next door neighbour while I was playing with while I was in Natalie's band, <laughs> swimming to each other in uh, in in, um, in Camden. But um, so yeah, so after that, uh, so David got in touch and said, "What are you guys doing now?" I said, "Well." You know, just finished the Natalie tour, Natalie campaign, and said, "Oh, do you fancy coming over and play with uh, uh, Sophie Ellis Baxter?" So we went, "Yeah, right." <laughs> so that was that. No audition, nothing. We just, just straight play. in, play the songs, <laughs> learn them. I mean, and she so, said some massive, massive hits as well, wasn't she? So, yeah, yeah. one, then, yeah. So, and then when Natalie um, released White Lily's Island, uh, we got the call back for that. So, um, so then we went back to play with Natalie, and that that. Coming from that, I remember that, that that was the bit we were talking about the other day. I'd sent her the photos saying, because I had the tour poster, I was just digging around for a few things with someone and I came across it. I've still got all my bits and bobs that I keep in. Yeah. Then I seen it was, that was 15 years ago. Well, the tour that, one of the UK tours and I'd, I'd said, we talked about it a few times, that was the tour that really changed my life because I was in a bit of a hole and things like that and I decided to kind of just take time off work and just book the tickets and go and travel and went yeah, all cool, over. Man. And yeah, it was cool. I mean, I know that a couple of the gigs and stuff like you get to see, I mean, you get to see the same sort of faces and, and things like yeah. that. So it was real, it just changed me in terms of like learning about myself and I could be on my own and I could, I didn't, you know, I could, I could be okay sort of thing. And just like cool. forgetting about the world that I was going through in my head yeah. and stuff and just disappearing on like mega buses for 80 pence down to <laughs> Manchester and, you know, it was just things like that, but like <laughs> mega bus. I know, I know. No, it's, it's probably about the most expensive way to travel. Now it used to be like a pound you could get down to London and stuff. So <laughs> sixteen hours, like yeah, with your that's... iPod with the same songs. But <laughs> it was a really great time, just because Natalie, I think, is that sort of person. All you guys were that I'd met along the way, just like really open, and it was like a family. And like if you were there, and like it was just like it. That tour, I know there was a guy that played, actually really liked him as well, Robert Post had supported a Norwegian guy that had played that tour as well. So 
How did yeah. how did that compare then the the White Lilies stuff? I know that obviously that album it wasn't as big as they say as the the first record. Was it was it any less exciting or was it just the same for you guys on that? Oh, no, it was just the same because um, we still, still flown around the world and playing these amazing things. You know? Yeah, we did. <laughs> what a top. We, uh, uh, the management going said, "What are you doing on?" these nine days and said because uh, we were we were to go to the Bahamas <laughs> to film a video it was a video for um, Beauty on the Fire yeah cool so, yeah so they flew us out to the Bahamas we were there for nine days to do uh, to do the video and uh, we were staying in a place called Atlantis there's a hotel called Atlantis in, um, in the Bahamas uh, Everybody just Google this place. It's nuts. So, I, I, so there's a lagoon, right? So I, looked, I got to my room, opened the curtains, and looked down. There's a, there's a man-made lagoon. I could see the sea. The sea's there. Holy! Uh, between the sea and the sand, the hinterland between uh, the sand and the hotel, there's a man-made lagoon with sharks, swordfishes, sawfishes. Um, uh, a pyramid, like an Aztec-style pyramid, dolphins, and I'm, and I'm just looking out the window going, what the hell's going on here? God. So we we stayed there for nine days, and um, no, it, it was quite um, dangerous because there was a casino downstairs. Oh, yes. I like that. Really, really, really dangerous. And, um, uh, but we did a gig there as well, so the part of the deal that we stayed in this hotel was that we, we did a gig and so uh, the American record company flew a load of competition winners over, so we you know, did this gig and and, others, and that was that whole uh, you know nine year, nine days to do a video. It's that's just insane. You know, we we filming for two days, but you know you, you never ever get that anymore. Ever. Yeah, and the budget and as well is probably not as much now these days as it was back then. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was uh, it was just fun because you know, it was. A, Fun bunch of people. The band is fun. That's fun. All the crew were fun. It's, it's, and it's just like everybody's like smiling. It's, it's just it, it was a laugh. And you don't always hear that, do you? you? Don't always get that from the tours. And you hear some horror stories about things that go wrong. Yeah. And you get that, um, but I mean, we took we took it seriously. It's it was it's our job. But we were lucky in a way that we all had fun. You know, we we all reminisce about it still. And and, and, and this we just. End up in fits of giggles because we had so so much fun. Yeah, nearly everybody's still in touch with each other from crew, from um, management side of things. You know, everybody's still friends. You know, from, from that time. So it's, uh, I would love like I've seen different carnations of obviously the band through her career because every tour she's been on, I've been to see her and stuff. So. Like, but and I'm not just saying this because you're on the on the the, top, the podcast. But that band was still my favorite, like band that she ever had, like Chuck's Sable and things like that. Just like, oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> just just because it rocked, like, and when that tour and other other, I mean, every tour that I'd seen you on, it was just like even like yeah, I played a little show. I think it was a competition one actually, King Tut's, and uh, yeah. it was just an acoustic thing. And it, even just stripping it back, it still sounded amazing. Like my always favorite memory is like I think you always used to play. I think Perry, you used to play the guitar for the main part of Left of the Middle, the song, and yeah. uh, I just loved that chords and that, the way it was played. And, yeah, 
I just I just love the feel of it on stage and you just come together like you didn't stand apart you's all kind of huddled around and it was just like the memories of it and it also uh, what was the other ones like Torn obviously is always a big yeah. one and that end that outro bit of Torn where it's just like it goes off into the wailing guitar bit I don't know did you play, yeah. if you were if it was you that played that part on the, the tour or not uh, I, I played acoustic so in that song you but missed although, out on that I, bit. I, I, although Oh, no, actually, you didn't because uh, I didn't miss out on it at all because I played the acoustic part. I was the one that got, got to go around the world just with Natalie playing all the radio shows, so just me and her. Well, there you so go. Well, that actually yeah. worked out better then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, me and Nat just went, we went to uh, Japan together for a week, you know, and, and uh, just to do some radio promos and stuff like that. That was great. Class. Just like, yeah. Be- the, we talked about just a little bit on White Lowe's before we kind of move on the last bit White Lowe's Island I think was an underappreciated album but the one song you just mentioned it there I remember actually standing in uh, I was just Bristol actually uh, just at the venue and the door was side door was open just leaning in watching you sound check beat you on the fire and what a amazing like bass line and drum that that really drives that song I think it's one of the best songs that's like didn't you know just probably should have been a big as hit as as, as Torn would have you know was but there were some great songs on that record, and I, you know. Yeah, maybe they should have released that first rather than that day. You know, there was a that's much more of a pop hit. I think the day. big thing with that day at the time, if I remember rightly, the radio stations and that. I think everybody seemed to mention the timing on that song, like in terms of the structure of it, like it, oh, it was just like offbeat sort of thing. But I just loved that yeah. about it. It was like it wasn't it's it, four right four song. standard progressive rock yeah. song. It was like yeah, it was so yeah, cool. See, it's, that one's quite technical to play as well, but we love playing it. It's such a fun song to play that day, and, and it's powerful, it's, isn't it? The words are yeah, yeah, like yeah. really yeah. powerful. And then you you go from that to like the the wonderful pop hit like Wrong Impression. I still gives me chills when I hear that because it reminds me of so much <laughs> stuff. So I think there was a lot of cool stuff on that album, and I wish that you know it maybe got the reaction better, you know, than it did. But I think Natalie's an underrated. Writer, I've spoke to her at different points, always saying I know that she puts a lot of heart and soul into the music she's making, and I'm really excited to see what she brings next year. Is there any hope? I know you'll be busy with Pendulum, but getting back involved, or is it just would Pendulum be your concentration for next year if we get back to normal? Uh, if we get back to normal, yeah, I'd love to play with Natalie again. Uh, Kenny, who played keyboards with us, yeah, I remember Kenny, yeah, from White Lilies onwards. Uh, Kenny played with her on the last acoustic tour that she did. So, uh... oh right, so that oh, yeah, because I was trying to piece together who was in because there's yeah. been some changes. Yeah, actually, funny story. We went to see that uh, acoustic tour, and my mum passed out, and we had to take her back to the hotel, so we missed half the gig. <laughs> oh no. Oh, we see Natalie after it was like uh, like was it just because of me I was like no my mum just generally passed out from the heat of <laughs> oh, Oran Moor in Glasgow is like the hottest venue yeah I played there oh yeah. my god so yeah that was yeah. funny but hopefully maybe one day then next year you can we'll get you'll get back in the band <laughs> it's, it's, it's always fun playing that always fun playing with Natalie yeah. it, it, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, I just love playing those songs as well yeah. they're great and some yeah. of the stuff that didn't like there was an album that didn't really get put out but it did get put out but not officially come to life and the, the songs on that like I know she wrote one with Chris Martin called yeah. Luke Lucas and um, there's one called 20 that I love that just like he just he's just such a, a talent and I, I'm looking forward to hearing 
what she's and she's kind of told me that it's that there's a little twist and a little change and she's been changing up a bit. So I'm excited to see what she comes with next. Just to finish up on like Natalie and probably more selfish for me because I want to talk about that. But what what was she, what was she like? I know you've talked a bit about her, but as a person, just like to speak to and on tour when you're away from your family and things like that. You know, was that somebody you could you could always confide in? Oh God, was she's like my little sister? <laughs> no, it, it was that. It, it was you know, that close knit a, a group of people. It was like it was like family, and, was like, and I think of that as family, and I think of her family as family as well. So you know, when I'm over in Australia and Melbourne, I always got to see Laura. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so we're still mates, you know. So Laura's just, just like we yeah. did through lockdown. She did like the. It was called like the laughing. I can't remember the name of it now, laughing session, but she got everybody on Zoom every day. So we decided yeah, <laughs> we did yeah, we decided to join in and have fun and yeah. she's such a laugh. What a laugh she was. It was crazy. Yeah. But that's really cool that you've still got that network and that's good to see that that tour was so special. You've built them relationships and you've kept them. Oh, absolutely, so yeah. that's wonderful. That is friend for life, you know. So she's she's my mate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we do chat once in a while, so well, Perry, we're coming. We're coming to the end of your time. There's always a, a couple of questions to ask at the end, and this is probably the only one I'll put you right on the spot. But um, I always like to talk about albums and music. It changed my life. It just, it just that's something that's really special to me. So I'm going to put you right on the spot here. Is there an album or a record or a song or anything like that at all that you could tell us about that changed your life? Maybe when you were younger, what what was it for you? Oh God. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can think. The first time I heard um, uh, "Free Bird" by Lynn Skinner. Wow, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, because my guitar solo at the end—that's when I heard. That. Well, it, it, there's quite a few songs. It's that one, um, ACDC "Back in Black." I remember hearing that for the first time, and it's going, "Wow, that's what I'm going to do when I when I grow up." <laughs> yeah, that's one of the turning points in my life when I first heard. That album. By an SG. That was what I was like when I said that. I was like, I want an <laughs> yeah. SG, like Kelly Jones. Well, it was Kelly Jones for me for Stereophonics. Oh, right. So, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hearing Back in Black, hearing yeah, guitar solo in Free Bird, yeah, that, that's the type of vibrary. Any good guitar solo, any, any, any harder riff, uh, that made you go, yeah, just like... Get on that. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, weird, just that we're talking about all those years ago. I just seen last couple of days before I was writing up some questions for you that uh, Oasis Morning Glory, you would have been around with Natalie at that time, 25 years old. I'm like, where's that yeah. went? I'm like, it's just unbelievable to hear about that. So, <laughs> so and, and there's, I always ask as well, just to finish up, that uh, moving forward, because I like to look to the future as well on the Talk Tonight podcast, anyone we should be listening to, maybe that you've been working with, with Pendulum or some up-and-coming bands that you could pass us on, who, who, who have you been listening to? I've been listening to an artist called Tragic Sasha at the minute. Uh, she did a song called Headlights, and uh, some friends of mine in Cardiff did it, like um, an acapella cover version of it, uh, uh, the Isaacs, as they call Isaac, and, uh, and I just started listening to. Uh, I love their version of this song. Then I heard the original, and I went, like, "Wow, this is amazing!" So it's uh, it's probably not what you'd expect me to listen to, but when I listen to stuff up low at home now, I listen, usually listen to like more chill out stuff than heavy stuff. Yeah. 
Fox is easier to listen to. Listen to. Uh, but yeah, I yeah, really like tragic, tragic Sasha. There's a good question we've actually just thought of just before we end, finish up tonight, Perry. What about when you're on the cycle? Do you what sort of music? I take it it's the go. You go for the rock when you when you're when you're on the bike. No, I don't. No. When I'm out, out on the road, I don't listen to anything uh, at all. Because uh, safety first, safety first. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You need your senses about it, uh, uh, and your hearing. The sense of hearing is very, very important. If you hear, if there's a car coming behind, if you can't hear a car coming behind you, you know, then uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, but it's. Um, but when I'm on the train at home. Um, I don't listen to music either. Uh, I listen to podcasts. Because podcasts uh, when you think of songs, songs are in like four or five minute chunks. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I get your, I get your feeling. So your podcast so, is an hour, you've done your hour and then you're... Yeah, so the, some of the podcasts that I listen to are an hour and a half long and, and, you, and you kind of lose time. Because yeah, uh, uh, exercising on a home trainer is boring. Not so you're looking, <laughs> yeah, you look at the wall. Basically, and um, but uh, that's what I really yeah I just love listening to podcasts because time goes like that when when you listen to podcasts. Fantastic. Well, Perry, I just want to say thanks so much for taking some time out uh, of your schedule to speak to me. It's been great just to go back down talk about some of the stuff that's been going on in your career, but also just looking back at some of the stuff with Natalie's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm wishing you all the best for next year with the new singles Nothing For Free and Driver which uh, out now to listen to in Pendulum um, hopefully be back on tour with everyone else in the world very very <laughs> soon but I just want to say thanks so much for taking the time and take take care stay safe and uh, we'll, we'll catch up soon hopefully when it's all back to normal as they say. it's been great talking to you thank you very much for, uh, for asking me to come on thanks Perry no worries so Perry, um, also I've noticed in, in lockdown or, or through your career, you've been involved with the Tour de France and commentating on a lot of cycling as your passion. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. How's, how's that been going? Yeah, well, um, I got a phone call about seven years ago from a friend of mine who works in a production company here in Wales. And um, well, I'm in Wales now because I'm working on something I'm about to tell you. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, and I was, he asked me uh, if I want, he was put, putting a pitch together to get the Tour de France on Welsh TV in Welsh. And he'd be asking me if I'd be interested in, in working on it as in commentating. And I went, yeah, right then, because I know I'm a massive, massive cycling fan, massive geek. I bet you couldn't and, believe it when you got that call. It was like... Yeah, no, I, I thought he was joking to start off with. And I went, yeah, all right, you know, one, I've never, ever done anything like that before in my entire life. And then so about six weeks later, he calls back and says, do you remember that conversation that we had? And he said, yes. Um, well, we got it. Uh, what are you doing in July? He said, well, I'm actually on tour, but, <laughs> but I've got a few days off. So, yeah, so luckily, um, the, the, the time, the days off that I had fitted in perfectly with the Tour de France. So I started working as sort of kind of uh, as a pundit and... Um, commentator on the Tour de France in Welsh uh, and that was seven years ago and this year's Tour de France was my seventh one and uh, I'm, I'm in Wales at the minute working on the Tour of Italy uh, this is our second Tour of Italy that, uh, um, that the first one was last year so you've, uh, I've been after nine cycling grand tours which wow. is, uh, that's incredible yeah, yeah so it's a bit odd when, people, when I tell people they go what? 
because some, you know, they think I just play guitar, like, but I'm, I'm actually on TV commentating on cycling. It's, uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a bit. And how that that's a good a good thing to then I think to ask. So how does that compare to walking on stage at like Wembley Arena with Pendulum or any other band that you're working with compared to going live on TV or, re- or pre-recorded? How is it? How what's the difference? Is it is it still nerve-wracking or is it worse? Or it's the same type of buzz because um, you know it's all live. So uh, and uh, but the thing. Uh, in the previous six years, you know, it's it was, it was changed this year because of COVID. We did everything in Wales, uh, but in the previous years, we'd been out in France presenting. You know, we'd follow the tour around, and I'd be there with a microphone at the finishing line, talking about what we've just seen, you know, live from the finishing line of the Tour de France. You know. uh, but this year, it's been. Uh, in the studio and where I'm just commentary really so without the presenting but, uh, but yeah it, it, it's you know it's funny because through that I've met a lot of my heroes a lot of my cycling heroes as well so it's, uh, it's it's been one hell of a buzz you know and if you'd have t- if somebody would have told me eight years ago that I'd been doing this uh, and by 2020 I would have been I would have finished working on my seventh tour de France I would have laughed in their face but it's uh, one of those things that uh, I wouldn't even say it was a dream come true because it, it never even registered. You know, I was just a cycling fan. There's no way that, you know, eight years ago, I would have gone, oh, I wish I was a cycling commentator because it never even registered in my brain. And then seven years later, I mean, you must love just getting that call every year, right, here we go again, this is blocked off for this, and I'm, you get you right into it. And what, how do you feel then about, like, I know that obviously maybe not so much the last couple of years, but maybe in the last five years there's been a lot of bad publicity about the, the, the cycling world and things like that. How do you think that's changed in the last couple of years when, you, when you've been working on the, the, the live stuff? Have you seen a huge difference in how the attitudes have changed towards, you know, the drug tests and everything that people think about cycling or, you know, stereotype it with? Well, the attitude of the riders has changed because uh, um, I'm lucky enough to know a lot of them and, um, you know, they, they are so anti-drugs, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, it's... Uh, they know the damage that is caused. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not just cycling; it's, it's every single sport. Yeah, yeah. It's just that cycling is is one of the poorest sports, and it doesn't get covered up. You know, it's like a lot of other sports, it, it does happen. You know, um, when there's that much money involved, you know, it it, it does happen. But um, it's uh, no, yeah. All of my cycling friends are so anti. Uh, anti-doping you wouldn't believe it's uh, it's yeah and do we have here in Scotland any rising stars coming through the cycling world that you can tell us about or do we have because Scotland we we have Andy Murray we have a few you know football teams and things like that but our national team isn't doing great rugby's been okay have we got anybody of hope coming through from Scotland um <laughs> no there's <funny. laughs> <laughs> well, a, a Colombian guy called uh, Alvaro Hodge he's got a I think he's got a Scottish grandfather. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. Yeah, uh, but you know, over the last last few years, there haven't been so many uh, Scottish cyclists. You know, you know, he used to have some great ones. There's Graham O'Brien for a start, you know, and, uh, and David Miller, and um, yeah. But at the minute, uh, there's nobody I can think of. Well, there's nobody in, in the in this year's Tour de France. Uh, uh, in the sort of victory from Scotland anyway so. we just seem to be good at like really shit sport like squash 
Like we had, <laughs> we, we had a guy that was like world champion in bowling, indoor bowls. We had a guy that was champion for like 10 years, like the ones that nobody watches. Like we couldn't have something cool like cycling. Like we've got to Andy Murray, obviously, and things like that, or even our football team. But it's like we just, I know we've had obviously Chris Hoy in the cycling world is, yeah. he's our probably one of our big heroes. He's a big advocate of mental health up here. He does a lot of great work. So I suppose we could call on him, but. He's more the track, isn't he? He's fast. Track cycling. Yeah. Track cycling. Yeah, Grim Rabrina's track as well, wasn't he? So um, uh, mainly track. And but uh, David David Miller, he's a he's a fantastic time trialist. And what do you think, Perry? When we get to the point where we get back to the uh, Olympics and things like that, would you would you want to commentate on that? Or have you done any previous work on? Uh, no, it's it's just the uh, the cycling really, because uh, um, it, it's because it's on Welsh TV. Um, uh, the contract for the uh, the Olympics goes to BBC, and Olympics is such a big, big thing. Uh, Welsh TV can really cover it because it's it's vast. You know, the amount of people that work on the BBC's production for the Olympics is just phenomenal. Just crazy amount of people, you know? and the, and, the, uh, and a lot of the Welsh people. Uh, who work on the Tour de France actually work in the Olympics too. So <laughs> they, they, they brings in so many people. It's, it's such a big crew on it. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there would be much point having the, the Olympics on it in Wales because it's, uh, it's already on the BBC. So. Well, that was such a lovely chat with Perry. What a nice guy. Uh, we go back. Uh, quite a few years back to obviously when he was touring with Natalie and it was great to hear some of the stories about the tour and also about his love of cycling at the end there we got a kind of in-depth look at what he's been up to lately so fantastic you can listen to the podcast all across the platforms that uh, usually find your podcast Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Anchor you name it it is on there now please leave us a review and get in touch via social media on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter much more to come in season two and thanks for listening in and we will be back with another podcast very soon take care